You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the latest NPR news headlines, we'll have the California Report from KQED Public Radio reporting on Governor Gavin Newsom's State of the State address delivered as he faces a recall attempt. Later, Keith Porter interviews Teresa Dietrich about a town hall Thursday designed to generate new ideas for providing affordable housing to the women and children of Nevada County. For their support of KVMR, we'd like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile, celebrating 2021 with Dave Wilson and Felix Gillet bare root trees in stock, plus berries, grapes, cloning supplies, and more in downtown North San Juan. 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. A massive $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief measure has now cleared the House. The package awaiting President Biden's signature, something expected to happen this week. On the House floor, Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the measure, which includes $1,400 stimulus checks for many households and extended jobless benefits for those who are out of work, is a monumentally important piece of legislation. I think I can safely say, and I've said this to my colleagues in the House on the Democratic side, This is the most consequential legislation that many of us will ever be a party to. But Republicans, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, had a different take, calling it too expensive and about things other than the pandemic. Let's be clear. This isn't a rescue bill. It isn't a relief bill. It's a laundry list of left-wing priorities that predate the pandemic and do not meet the needs of the American families. The bill also includes $130 billion in additional help for students in K-12 grades and money for hard-hit cities and states. The Senate has voted to confirm President Biden's nominee for attorney general. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports the nomination of Judge Merrick Garland passed the chamber with bipartisan support. As attorney general, Merrick Garland is expected to face a number of challenges early on. He may have to decide whether to investigate and potentially prosecute former President Donald Trump for his role in the deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol building. He's also taking the reins amid a Justice Department investigation of President Biden's son, Hunter. During his confirmation hearings, Garland pledged that he would fight any effort to make prosecutions or investigations partisan or political. NPR's Windsor Johnston. The U.S. Department of Justice is suing an Alabama sheriff for sexual discrimination. NPR's Debbie Elliott reports female corrections officers say managers failed to address a pattern of harassment by male inmates. 
The Justice Department's Civil Rights Division filed the lawsuit against Sheriff Sam Cochran and the Mobile County Sheriff's Department. It alleges a sexually hostile working environment for women. The complaint says female workers were subjected to severe and pervasive harassment by male inmates who, among other things, exposed their genitals, made sexually degrading comments, and threatened sexual violence. The lawsuit also alleges that higher-ups failed to take female employees' complaints seriously. A spokesman says the sheriff's office in Mobile, Alabama, won't comment until Sheriff Cochran and attorneys have had time to review the federal lawsuit. Debbie Elliott, NPR News. Prices at the consumer level took a bump up last month. The government saying its consumer price index rose four-tenths of a percent, much of that due to a rise in prices at the gas pump. On Wall Street, a mix closed. The Dow was up 434 points, but the Nasdaq fell four points. This is NPR. The U.S. budget deficit reached an all-time high last month, topping $1 trillion for the first five months of the fiscal year. The pool of red incoming as spending to deal with the coronavirus pandemic rose well in excess of the amount of tax revenues coming in. Treasury says for the October through February period, the deficit was 68 percent larger than the roughly $625 billion recorded for the same period a year ago. Brazil's former president Lula da Silva addressing the nation after his graft convictions were overturned, telling Brazilians to disregard current President Jair Bolsonaro's positions on COVID-19. Catherine Osborne has the story. Lula was out of Brazil's political spotlight until Monday when a judge overturned two corruption sentences he was serving. He's now thought to be considering a run against Bolsonaro next year. In a televised speech, he lamented Brazil's coronavirus death toll, said the country lacks a government, and told Brazilians to take their COVID-19 vaccines and disregard Bolsonaro's health advice. Bolsonaro has long downplayed the risk of the virus and cast doubt on the effectiveness of vaccines. This week, Brazil saw its deadliest 24-hour period yet of the pandemic. COVID-19 killed almost 2,000 people in a day. For NPR News, I'm Catherine Osborne in Rio de Janeiro. The University of California, Davis, says it hopes to convince students to stay in place instead of going anywhere for spring break. University Today saying students who choose to stay home during the March 22nd through 26th break will get $75 worth of gift cards. Qualified students need to promise to stay home and complete a COVID test. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Last night, Governor Gavin Newsom delivered his annual State of the State Address, this time from Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, which has served as a mass COVID-19 testing and vaccination site. The governor's speech focused on the pandemic's toll on California and how the Golden State will recover. With more, here's KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati. Newsom spoke for roughly 30 minutes, but his 2021 agenda can be summarized in one line. Getting kids back to school, getting shots and to arms, getting the economy back on its feet. These are urgent priorities. School reopenings, vaccine distribution and economic recovery will go a long way toward determining whether Newsom can reverse his slumping approval numbers. On Tuesday night, the governor touted the billions of dollars he's budgeted in just the last few weeks to send Californians $600 checks and fund a return to classroom learning. But he also acknowledged that his response to the pandemic has not been flawless. I know our progress hasn't always felt fast enough. 
And look, we, we've made mistakes. I, I have made mistakes, but we own them. We learn from them, and we never stop trying. Of the 3,600 words that Newsom uttered, recall was not one of them. But the governor did have a response to critics who were trying to remove him from office. We're not going to change course just because of, of a few naysayers and, and doomsdayers. Hours before Newsom took the field at Dodger Stadium, Republican gubernatorial hopeful Kevin Faulkner started swinging. In a recorded speech, the former San Diego mayor said Newsom has been slow to help students and small businesses. Gavin Newsom has had almost unlimited emergency powers for a year. And for months, we gave him the benefit of the doubt. But time and time again, he has completely failed on delivering the basics. The campaign to recall Newsom from office has one week to deliver the signatures they need to qualify an election. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. In his State of the State address, the governor also noted that the capacity of Dodger Stadium, where he spoke, nearly matches the more than 50,000 lives lost in California because of the pandemic. A new economic forecast out of UCLA predicts that California's economy will likely bounce back faster from the pandemic than the nation's as a whole. State unemployment numbers are expected to drop this year and reach near pre-pandemic numbers around 4% by 2023. The forecast also downplays many predictions that there will be a major exodus of businesses from California in response to the pandemic. But it's not all good news in the UCLA Anderson forecast. The study also predicts lagging tourism numbers will continue to impact the state's hospitality industry. And L.A. Unified and its teachers union have reached a tentative deal that would get younger students back in the classroom by mid-April and middle and high school students by the end of the same month. Like many other districts, the agreement provides for a hybrid model, combining online and in-person instruction, with students kept in small groups while on campus. Families would still have the option of keeping students in remote learning full-time. There will be safety guidelines in place at schools, including COVID testing for staff and students, and masks would be required. Teachers and staff will not have to return to work until they've had access to COVID-19 vaccinations. The agreement still needs to be approved by the union and the Board of Education. And when the pandemic hit one year ago, many home-based childcare providers in California saw their businesses fall apart almost overnight. But in San Diego, a coalition of local organizations has helped many childcare providers stay in business and in some cases even thrive. With more, here's KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler. Last March, Somali immigrant Safio Jama saw her home-based childcare business in the City Heights neighborhood of San Diego fall apart. When the pandemic hit, children were kept home. Their parents couldn't pay for care anymore. And Jama's own revenue dropped precipitously. The year ago, pandemic, when it started, it was, it hit us, especially me, it hit me hard. I lost a lot of kids, a lot of families who couldn't keep their jobs. That's when a coalition of local groups, including the Horn of Africa, the Chicano Federation, the International Rescue Committee, the YMCA, and San Diego State University, stepped up. They launched a pilot program meant to keep these vital local institutions alive, during a time when many essential workers in this immigrant neighborhood still had to go into work. Abdul Rahman Ibrahim, the Senior Child Care Program Coordinator at the International Rescue Committee, explains the pilot program was not only meant to help support the businesses financially, 
but with other support like marketing and bookkeeping. This is a lifeline for our uh, underserved community. So this is what we provide for providing the, the technical, the, the coaching, the sustaining their business. So we're trying to sustain their business to make sure they not um, fall behind from what's going on with this pandemic. Between March and July 2020, more than 9,300 licensed child care providers went out of business in California, with home-based child care providers, like Safio Jamas, representing 80% of those closures. But none of the 15 businesses that reopened to children last spring and took part in the 12-week training program had to close their doors. Some even increased their revenues and enrollment as compared to before the pandemic. Safio Jama now has a waiting list. She thinks the most valuable assistance she received was finding ways to connect with the larger immigrant community and being made aware of funding opportunities for immigrant child care providers. As a community, as a Somali community, as uh, Oromos, Ethiopian, Sp- Spanish speakers, all that, mostly who does uh, uh, child care will benefit a lot. Uh, they send us email us, let us know what is coming on our way, where we can apply, how we can uh, make big our business, all the grants coming up. Jama pointed out how for businesses run out of one's home, even just locating rental assistance can be a major boon for these small child care providers. For The California Report, I'm Max Revlin-Adler in San Diego. Support for The California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, March 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In the regional weather forecast, the cold storm that brought low snow and a flurry of vehicle spinouts and accidents and power outages to our county is on its way out of the area. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, snow showers diminishing after 10 p.m. with an overnight low of 33 degrees. On Thursday in the Grass Valley and Nevada City area, partly cloudy with a high of 47 degrees and a low of 37. In Truckee tonight, cloudy with a few snow flurries or snow showers possible and a low of 14 degrees. Thursday in Truckee, cloudy with a 34% chance of snow showers developing later in the day. Truckee will see a high of 36 degrees and a low of 14 Thursday. In Sacramento, cloudy tonight with an overnight low of 40 degrees. On Thursday in Sacramento, partly cloudy with a high of 59 degrees and a low of 36. Late today, Nevada County Public Health reported three newly confirmed COVID-19 cases for the day. 62 cases remain active in the county, with six people hospitalized, three in intensive care. According to state data, Nevada County residents have received 28,553 doses of the coronavirus vaccine so far. Speaking to local media outlets earlier today, 
Jill Blake, Nevada County Director of Public Health, said that vaccine allocations, including those of the new single-dose Johnson & Johnson shot, had been increasing steadily over the past few weeks, but the county expects a smaller supply to arrive over the next two weeks. You know, our, our allocation was getting sort of steady, and I think for maybe three or four weeks, we were seeing a slight increase each week. Uh, last week, we don't have our numbers for this week yet. Last week was our largest allocation to date. I anticipate seeing a slight dip in that allocation this week for one reason, and that is that um, we've been told that California's allocations will remain um, pretty static for the next two to three weeks, but we won't be getting any more Johnson & Johnson vaccine until March 23rd. So this week's allocation likely will not have any Johnson & Johnson. So we might see a bit of a dip temporarily. And then once the state is getting Johnson & Johnson again, we anticipate getting our fair share of it. So it, I think, got pretty steady. We'll see a slight dip. At least that's what I'm anticipating for maybe a week or two. And then my guess is it will become a little more routine. One of the promises of Blue Shield serving as the third-party administrator one of their goals is to um, is to be able, is to inform us of what our allocation will be weeks out, so that we can do some better planning around that. So we're looking forward to the date when when we know what's coming our way for the next three to four weeks. That will be a real gift to all the vaccinators in Nevada County. The White House said on Tuesday that the government will distribute about 18.5 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines this week, fewer than last week because no new doses of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine are ready to be sent out. Last week, the U.S. government distributed over 21 million doses of all three vaccines. That included over 3.5 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Johnson & Johnson's manufacturing has been slower than expected, and the company was not expected to be able to deliver any doses of its vaccine this week. It is expected to resume shipments of the vaccine later in March. United Way of Nevada County and Interfaith Food Ministry will hold a drive-through food giveaway Saturday at the Food Ministry site at 440 Henderson Street in Grass Valley. The event will take place from 10 a.m. to noon. Food Access Saturday is held on the second Saturday of every month. Anyone who could benefit from the service is invited to take part. An additional drive through food pantry takes place every Wednesday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Nevada Union High School. In light of the cold, wet weather, Hospitality House and Nevada County have opened the Extreme Weather Shelter tonight for the second night in a row. The shelter at the Veterans Hall on North Pine Street in Nevada City was slated to open at 4.30 p.m. today. It will close at 7.30 a.m. Thursday. The shelter is a temporary home for our county's most vulnerable populations during extreme weather and connects homeless residents to services through the county's Homeless Outreach and Medical Engagement Team, Hospitality House, and the Veterans Services Office. The Nevada County Veterans Service Office is conducting a survey this week to hear from military members and veterans on how they can be better served. The information collected from the survey will be shared with local veteran service organizations such as the American Legion, Veterans of Foreign Wars, and Vietnam Veterans of America. These organizations plan to use this information to ensure that no veteran in Nevada County slips through the cracks. The survey can be found through Saturday at mynevadacounty.com slash veteran services survey.
or request a paper survey by calling 530-273-3396. While our friends who put on the twice-yearly Strawberry Music Festival announced recently that there will be no festival this year, the Wall Street Journal predicts in a report in today's edition that fans could be back at concerts this summer. The concert business, one of the first to shut down because of COVID-19 and likely among the last to come back, is cautiously plotting a gradual return to live shows. The CEO of the world's largest concert promoter, Live Nation Entertainment, has said it might begin staging outdoor amphitheater shows by midsummer. Jay Marciano, chief executive of another big concert promoter, AEG Presents, said he believes full-capacity club and theater shows will be possible this fall. Music manager Emily Lichter of the Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado noted that Lake Street Dive is slated to play there at the end of September. The band is said to be exploring whether it can use that show to kick off a fall tour at outdoor venues. Artist teams, wary after postponing and rescheduling shows, say they won't announce dates until they are certain they can go forward. The wait-and-see approach likely means shorter windows for ticket sales, the journal story said, more like 6 to 12 weeks ahead of shows rather than 5 to 6 months, according to agents and promoters. Fan demand for live events appears strong, with 83% opting to hold on to their tickets for rescheduled shows instead of taking refunds, according to Live Nation. One challenge for the concert industry is that restrictions and guidelines are likely to vary by location. Managers, agents, and promoters say tours will likely route through more open markets like Texas and the southern United States before arriving in more restrictive markets, such as California. Whether certain tickets will require proof of vaccination, a negative COVID-19 test, or a mask might vary by market, promoter, and venue. The Strawberry Music Festival folks are planning a live festival in May 2022 at the Nevada County Fairgrounds. For those of you counting, that's in 441 days. Next up, a report by Keith Porter on a public town hall Thursday that will consider ideas for providing affordable housing in a county with high real estate prices and low housing inventory. I'm Keith Porter with KVOR News, and I'm talking today with Teresa Dietrich. Teresa is the past president of the Nevada County Association of Realtors. She's currently the Legislative Affairs Chair. She is a longtime supporter of Habitat for Humanity, and she is going to be the moderator for a very important event that is sponsored by Habitat for Humanity coming up this Thursday, March 11th at 2 o'clock. So, Teresa, welcome to KVMR. Oh, thank you so much, Keith. I'm so happy to be here. And tell us about this event. It has to do with uh, women and children in the housing market, right? Yes, it does. And I, the impetus for this is big celebratory month for women. Monday of this week was International Women's Day, right? Correct. And this is Women's History Month. And so what better time to talk about women and children and housing because housing is such an important issue to women in particular because it means safety, security, 
It's a nest. It's a place to raise our children. It's a place to hold our memories. And a home is a very emotionally evocative thing for women in particular. And that is how they secure the future for their children. And as you can understand that the women who are providing a home for their children are ensuring that those children are going, in most cases, to go on to college and to become secure and productive adults. Absolutely. Well, the importance of a home just can't be underestimated, can it? Tell us about the, uh, the, the event on Thursday and how that fits into this whole, uh, this whole need. It's really time in our county when we look at how many people are overburdened with the cost of housing who are paying way more than 30% for housing. And that number is expected to go up by 25% in the next decade. So at some point, we have to get back to providing some sort of safe, secure, affordable housing for the citizens of our county who maybe aren't high-tech gurus and don't have really high-paying jobs, but provide the backbone of the community. And so what we decided to do was to have a panel and to try to come up with some really solid ideas that could move forward to help provide that housing. Now, Habitat for Humanity is really the only truly affordable housing available to purchase in Nevada County at this time. The average home sale in our county right now is about $599,000. And most people that are in the affordable category need a home under $400,000. So there's a pretty big gap. And right now, in particular, the inventory is so short that houses are selling in multiple offers. So what, what the determination of this is to get together a variety of leaders at different points in government. So we have Assemblymember Megan Dolly, who represents uh, Assembly District Number 1. We have uh, Susan Hook, who represents our uh, Board of Supervisors for District 4. We have Hillary Hodge, who is a city council member for Grass Valley, and Daniela Fernandez for Nevada City. And then we have Lorraine Larson, the head of the Nevada County Habitat for Humanity. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about different ideas that each of these women have to try to help get housing happening in Nevada County for women and children and for affordable housing. And you will be the moderator. Yes, I think I'm going to have my hands full, don't you? That's a pretty wild bunch. you got some dynamic people there. So tell us about when this event takes place and how people can participate. So Habitat for Humanity has a, uh, on their website, they have a link, and they're also sharing that all over Facebook right now. This is actually sponsored by the Nevada County Habitat for Humanity, the Union, and the Nevada County Association of Realtors. So everybody is promoting the, the link to go ahead and sign up and attend. It is free, and you will actually have an opportunity in the FAQ to post questions. And you can post questions for all of the um, panelists, or you can pick a panelist to post a question for. So we will have a little bit of a question and answer period. Jim Phelps from Habitat for Humanity has already provided each one with a specific question based on their role in government and on their background. So there there will be, I think, a very lively discussion about some very creative ideas to get housing going again in Nevada County because we really just don't have enough housing starts to meet the need to start with. 
And then on top of that, when you get into very few houses to purchase and all the overbidding going on, it really it really shuts families out. It really does. Well, it sounds like such a timely event. Thank you for doing this. Thank Habitat for doing this. And let's remind people one more time. This is Thursday at 2 o'clock, and they can access it again. You want to tell us how to do that? Uh, you can go to Nevada County Habitat for Humanity, and on the front page there's a link to register. They will also be putting this on Facebook Live. I think if you really want to post questions and you really want to get engaged in this, your best bet is to go to Nevada County Habitat for Humanity, click the link, and then they will send you a Zoom link to uh, join the conversation Thursday at 2 o'clock. And that way you can be really be part of the conversation. And the more people who want to pose questions and be part of the conversation, the better, because we as a community need to find solutions together. Well, we are a great community for doing that. We see lots of examples of that. So, uh, Teresa Dietrich, moderator for the event on Thursday and uh, past president of the Nevada County Association of Realtors, thank you very much for doing what you're doing for the community and for telling us about this today on KVMR. Thank you so much, Keith. I really enjoyed our conversation. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30 on an all-new edition of The Sages Among Us, host Keith Porter interviews tech entrepreneur Lance Goddard. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Have a great evening. Ha <laughs> ha